Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. So, uh, we are continuing to look into our Glory and Redemption series. If you've got your Bible, I encourage you to open it up to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14 brings us to the end of what we talked about last week, the Exodus. Remember that Exodus as a book of the Bible records first the Exodus, or the, the children of Israel and their leaving from slavery in Egypt into a new way of life following after God as he leads them to the promised land. And that included the ten plagues that we're familiar with, including that tenth plague, the death of the firstborn, which becomes Passover for the Jewish people. And then they cross through the Red Sea on dry land. Pharaoh's army is drowned to death. And they celebrate what God has done. At the end of chapter 14, it says this, When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. So the Exodus ends with God's people on the other side of the Red Sea from Egypt celebrating who God is and what he has done in their lives. And then they begin to go from there and continue their exodus toward the promised land. And they have some experiences. Exodus 15 tells us that they were... They were thirsty, and they came up on this spring, but the, the water was undrinkable, and so God tells Moses to throw a stick in the water, and it becomes drinkable. Now, we all go, what? It's those simple acts of faith and doing what seems even remarkable or unreasonable uh, beyond making sense and trusting in God's hand that oftentimes results in just great outcomes. And that's what we see here. This water that was undrinkable turned into water that was drinkable by the simple act of trusting God and doing something that didn't really make sense, save for the fact that God said to do it. And so the Israelites, their needs are met here by God as he leads them toward the promised land. And when they experienced that miracle, here's what he says to them. God says, if you will carefully obey the Lord your God, do what is right in his sight, pay attention to his commands, and keep all his statutes, I will not inflict any illness on you that I inflicted on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So God makes a promise to the Israelites after turning undrinkable water into drinkable water, that if they will walk in obedience toward him, that he will protect them from illness, and he will heal their bodies, and they will not see the kinds of things that happened to the Egyptians happening to them. Now, they celebrate, they are excited by what God is doing, and then here, just a few moments later, in the story, Exodus chapter 16 tells us this. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the, winter, in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. So God has done all these miraculous things, and now the Israelites are starting to get a little bit hungry as they're wandering around in the scrub brush and in the, the unsettled areas of the Sinai Peninsula, and they begin to complain about being hungry. They remember not that they were slaves and that God freed them, but when they were slaves, they had all the food they wanted. And so they, they considered slavery better than freedom in God. And what's amazing is the story goes on to tell us that God decides he is going to provide for them all that they need to eat. And he does so by sending manna, which is bread from heaven, is what it's described as in scripture. It falls as dew and then they gathered it in the morning and they ate uh, their, their fill throughout the day. And then quail every night would kind of swarm over the camp, you catch what you want, and then they'd leave real quick. And so every morning there was manna, and every night there was quail. And God, even though the Israelites were grumbling and complaining, God continues to meet their needs. He continues to provide for them every day. And scripture actually tells us 
every day for the next 40 years, he feeds them this manna and this quail. So God says to them, I've heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will eat bread until you are full. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. God is continually proving himself to the Israelites over and over again as if ten plagues wasn't enough to show that he's God or the, the Red Sea being separated and crossing on dry land wasn't enough to prove he was God. And water that was undrinkable turned drinkable. Now he's giving them bread in the morning and meat every night. He's meeting their every need. And it, like I mentioned, it tells us that the Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they reached the border of the land of Canaan. Forty long years, God provided daily for their needs. He fed them miraculously. And yet we're going to see that the Israelites are still going to struggle with their freedom. They're going to find their freedom actually difficult to maintain. So a, a little bit later in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, we read of God uh, providing for the Israelites water when they were once again thirsty. But this time, instead of a, a spring that was undrinkable being turned drinkable, God takes and tells Moses, I just want you to go and hit a rock, and water will come out of it. And Moses does. He takes a staff, he hits a rock, and water to water everyone, and all the animals comes out. Now, this is clearly not a, a God fixed something that was broken, but a miracle. God provided what was not there in order to meet the needs of his people. And so we see the Israelites experiencing this great freedom, provision from God. They, they have been free from their slavery under the Egyptian rule for about three months, Scripture tells us, when they arrive at Mount Sinai, the same mountain where God spoke to Moses in the burning bush. And so Moses has made this, this journey in his life from meeting God in a burning bush on a mountaintop and being sent to be the, the deliverer for the people of God. He's walked through all of those miracles and, and the months and maybe even years that it took for the plagues to unfold. And now he has brought God's people back to the same mountain so that they can experience God in the same way that he did. And so that brings us to chapter 19 of Exodus. So you can kind of Keep flipping and look at chapter 19 of Exodus. After all of this stuff has happened, we, we see that God wants to meet with his people. And he says this to Moses to tell to them in 19 verses 4 through 6. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. In other words, God's saying, I'm the one who did all of this in your life to bring you to this mountain so you can experience me. Now if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. God tells Moses, I want you to say this to the Israelites. Israelites, I've given you all that you need, and now I'm asking you to be obedient to the things I'm going to give you and you'll be my special people. You'll be the, my beloved ones. You'll be the, the people through whom I will work and reveal myself. And so Moses tells the Israelites all of these things. And, and here's what happens. After Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people responded together. We will do all that the Lord has spoken. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, it, it makes perfect sense when you realize that God has taken them from slavery in Egypt. He has preserved them through these ten plagues. In fact, they, they suffered nothing of the ill consequences that fell upon the Egyptian people. He has brought them through the Red Sea. They walked across the Red Sea on dry land, a feat that is significant because it was enough water that when the, the sea collapsed, all of Pharaoh's army was able to be drowned in it. So it wasn't just a puddle, it wasn't just a pool, unless Pharaoh's army was really incompetent and didn't swim well. It had to have been more than just five or six inches of water. It was significant what God had done. He had provided water for them twice. He was daily providing for them bread in the morning and meat every night. It makes perfect sense that when he says, 
if you will just obey, you'll be my people. I mean, I'd be like, yeah, sign me up. I mean, it's, this is better than BJ's or Sam's Club. I mean, you know, maybe there's no rotisserie chicken, but there's quail every night, and this is good stuff every morning. And so Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord, not like God hadn't heard, but Moses reveals to God that the people agree. And so God begins the process of revealing himself more fully to the children of Israel. And so they, they're camped out down at the base of Mount Sinai, this same mountain where Moses had met God in the burning bush. And, and God tells them to begin to prepare to experience him. He, he wants them to set themselves apart, to, to purify themselves. He wants them to understand that there are limits, that they can't come up the mountain and just meet him however they want, kind of willy-nilly, but he's holy and he's perfect. And so they must not go up past a certain point on the mountain or they'll be struck dead. And they need to purify themselves by abstaining from certain things in order to get ready to meet God. And so God is very specific about his, his desires and his plans for his people. He says, I want you to see me. I want you to meet me, but you've got to come to me on my terms because I'm holy and I'm perfect. And you will be struck dead if you get t- too close. And so three days passes and all the people are prepared to hear from God. And then we get to chapter 20. And chapter 20 of Exodus tells us that God himself announces the Ten Commandments from the mountain. That all of God's people are camped out at the base of Mount Sinai, and God's voice comes ringing down from the top of the mountain after trumpets and an earthquake and fire on the mountain and lightning in the clouds. God's voice is heard by everyone. And, and you know, we can all imagine what that would have been like it, it was overwhelming to the Israelites, actually. They were, they were scared to death as they heard God's voice. And God gives them these ten commandments, or what it literally means in the Hebrew are these ten words. These are the, the very specific commandments that he wants them to follow in order to be his people and for him to care for them. So he gives them these ten commandments, and, and most of us are familiar with them, but not all of us probably are. What's interesting is I've seen a, you know, some on-the-street kind of interview stuff. Uh, if you've ever seen some of the Way of the Master and the Ray, Ray Comfort will go out and do this. He actually did one where he went into, I, I believe it was a mall, and he asked people, uh, could they name 10 beers? And, and most of them were just like, yeah, 10 beers. There's Coors, there's Bud, there's Bud Light, there's Coors Light, there's Miller, there's Miller Light. I mean, you know, they're just, they can name 10 beers in no time. And he's like, okay, do you know the Ten Commandments? Uh, like don't kill? Okay, <laughs> you know, that, that's one. Can you name the Ten Commandments? And, and most people, you know, in that man-on-the-street kind of interview struggle. But the question is, do you know the Ten Commandments? Here, here's God saying, I want you to be my people. I want you to be in relationship with me. And here are the ten standards by which I want you to begin to live today so that you can be my people. Now, of course, this was specifically spoken to the Israelites in this day, but it it still holds true. This is still God's desire for mankind to walk according to his standards, to, to walk in a way that is pleasing to him, that we might be in relationship with him. And so these Ten Commandments, here's what God says to the Israelites from the mountain. He He declares them to them a booming voice and thunder and lightning and earthquake. And and it's life-rattling as God declares these ten words. He says to them that I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. Do not have any other gods. And, And some translations say before me, but most of them are faithful to the Hebrew and actually say beside me. In other words, there there is to be nothing that even compares in your life to me. It's not that something should be more important. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I don't even want anything to be as important as me in your life. You are not allowed to make any idols. And we kind of take this and we think about 
well, an idol must be of another God. But really what God is saying is, I don't want you to think that you can represent me in some sort of physical thing. I don't want you to make a picture of me. I don't want you to make a, an animal to represent me. I don't want you to make a statue of me. I, don't, I want you to understand that I cannot be communicated to you by the things of this world. I'm bigger than any little box you would put me in. It says, don't misuse or don't, don't take the Lord's name in vain because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Now, there's been some discussion, what does it mean to use the Lord's name in vain or to misuse his name? And many of us would agree, to use the name of God as an expletive in any form or fashion is probably something you should avoid. It is something that, that while it may not be blasphemy in the sense of, of uh, well, misrepresenting God, it's using his name pointlessly. It's miscommunicating who he is. The second aspect is to, to misrepresent him. To say, this is God when it's not really God. To, to, to say, I'm like God when you're in no way like him. To misuse or misappropriate his name, either as an expletive or a curse or to misrepresent his person. And the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath, that day of rest, and keep it holy. And God doesn't root this in, because everybody needs a day off. He says, in six days I created the earth, and on the seventh day I rested. And so you will do the same thing. You will work for six days and rest on the seventh. And God says, this is rooted in the very act of creation that you see in Genesis chapter 1. Now these first four commandments, they're unique in that all of them are directly connected to mankind's relationship with God. And that's why I kind of set them apart, the red box, you'll see that kind of reiterated again. These next six commandments make the move to our relationships with one another. The first of the, the, the next commandments, the fifth commandment. It's this one that makes the move between God to, to relationships by recognizing the importance of a relationship in which God is most represented in our lives, that of our parents. And so we are called to, commanded to, honor our parents. And uh, the Apostle Paul makes a big deal of this command. He says, it is the first command with a promise that it may go well with you in the land that you've been given, you'll have a long life. And that's exactly what it says right here in verse 12 of chapter 20. Honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So the first relationship that God says is important and you must partake of and, and lift up is to honor your parents. And then God says, in your other relationships, don't murder that should seem pretty basic, right? But don't murder. Now, it does not say thou shalt not kill. Uh, a lot of us, we've heard that translation. There's actually an, a movie from the 80s where they just sing that over and over again. Um, and it's, it's, that's not the command. The command is literally thou shalt not murder. The difference between killing and murdering is very simple. Sometimes war happens. Killing must happen. Sometimes truth must be defended even violently but to murder someone, to take someone's life for your own selfish cause is expressly prohibited in Scripture. And just like we're not supposed to take someone else's wife, we are not supposed to take for ourselves someone else's spouse. And so God says, no adultery. And there's not like, unless you really struggle and feel like you're not loved, uh, there's, there's no outs here, you know, I mean... They got a little older, and they don't look as good as they used to. He put on a few pounds. And so, no, no, there's no out here, no adultery. Honor your marriage. Do not steal. Do not steal. And we all know the government is the first to disobey this law, right? But no stealing. No stealing. Things have owners, and that ownership should be respected. Next, no false testimony. In other words, don't tell lies about your neighbor. Don't go to the court and stand up and speak 
unfaithfully about them. Don't gossip about them. Instead, represent who they genuinely are when you speak of them. And finally, no coveting. You shall not covet. In other words, you shouldn't look at other people's stuff and want it so badly you would be do, willing to do anything to get it. And I think, I think we all struggle with that. Shelly and I used to have a day in our life, and it may still be true for you, where we just wanted a jacked-up Ford pickup, an F-150, right, 4x4, big tires, KC lights in the back. Uh, I, I mean, I would have liked it to be blue, shimmery, right, leather seats, but the bench seats, so, you know, you can still get the... Anyway, just... Just, man, we're, we're talking about, you know, and, and when one of those things would drive by when we were first married, it was just like, oh, I think I'd kill for that. And now I'm not so much there. I, you know, life's changed. I'm, I've learned how not to covet so bad. But, but we, we all struggle with things like that, don't we? And feeling like it's not fair that they have because I deserve it. God says, don't covet. And it's interesting when you read don't covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't look at what someone else has and say, yeah, but I deserve that. Instead, be thankful for what God has given you. And so we see these Ten Commandments these ten words given to us. First, our relationship with God. And second, our relationships with people. And how we are to be living rightly with God by honoring what he has said. And this is what he gives to the Israelites. This is what he gives to the people. And it, then, then scripture goes on to tell us in Exodus 20, verses 18 through 21, all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the ram's horn, and the mountains surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses. But don't let God speak to us or we will die. Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid. For God has come to test you so that you will fear him and will not sin. Now, it may seem to be a contradiction. Don't be afraid. God wants you to fear him. But understand, afraid means to cower and, and to be um, caught up thinking you'll be destroyed. But that's not what God wants of his people. He wants them to have a right respect for who he is. So when, when Moses says, don't be afraid, fear him, he says, don't cower. Don't expect to be destroyed, but do respect the awesome power of this one true God. And the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the total darkness where God was. Now, Scripture goes on to tell us that after the Ten Commandments, the people say, God, we don't want to hear directly from you. How about you just speak to Moses? And Moses then begins to represent the people before God. Moses goes and spends more time with God. And in chapter 20, verse 22, through chapter 23, verse 33, God continues to give laws to Moses. Now, you might say, well, but God, aren't the Ten Commandments enough? Yes. But... What God did for his people is he began to answer the question, well, what about when this happens? And if you've ever raised a child or been around a child or you've led youth group or you've taught kids Sunday school, you know that the second you say this is the rule, the next question out of someone's mouth will be, yeah, but, but what about when... And they give you this, this outlandish circumstance that will never happen in reality. But what they want to do is they want to find the loophole. They're looking for a way to disobey the law that you have just given them. And so then you have to begin to give detailed answers. You have to, well, what about, so if that were to ever happen, this is how that rule applies. Yeah, but what about, it applies this way. Well, but what about, okay, so here's another rule to help you understand the first rule. And especially if you're playing a game in youth group, you have got to be so specific. 
And some of the games that I used to do as a youth pastor, you had to hand out a, like an appendix with a hundred pages of rules so that you could play, just so that somebody would win a sucker at the end, right? But they always wanted to cheat. They always wanted to find the workaround. And so God, in Exodus 20 and tw- through 23, he begins to tell the people of Israel, now I've given you the ten big ones, and you're going to ask, well, what about, and how does this apply on this day and in this way? And so let me give you some details. And so God begins to give them details about things like worship, how they are supposed to worship. And God is so serious about worship. He says things like, uh, don't make gods of silver to rival me. Uh, When you make an altar for me, I want it to be made of this, but not this. I don't want any steps because nobody wants to see up your skirt. Um, And and he literally says that he doesn't want it to see anybody's nakedness because he doesn't want anybody going up steps in their robe. And and so God is really specific in some, some very specific ways about how he wants to be worshipped. He talks about slaves and, and talks about what is acceptable in slavery and what's unacceptable. He talks about injury. And if this happens, when somebody gets hurt, how you're supposed to compensate them. He talks about stealing and property. He talks about death penalty issues. I mean, it's amazing to read when we look at, at what are the death penalty issues. Chapter 22 Verses 18 through 20 of Exodus says this, Do not allow a sorceress to live or someone who practices witchcraft. Whoever has time with an animal must be put to death. Uh, well, well, what about, here you go, here's one of your loopholes, you can't do that. Whoever sacrifices to any gods except the Lord alone is to be set apart for destruction. The big things that God says are worth death are witchcraft, bestiality, and worshiping another god. Those are things that will get you killed outright according to his standards that he's revealed so far. And he says, here's how you honor me. Don't don't blaspheme me. Don't curse a leader. Don't hold back your offerings. Uh, Make sure that you are my holy people. Don't eat uh, the meat from a mauled animal found in the field. Right? I mean, we've got these rules, and you go, why rules? And God is giving us the, the whatabouts. Well, well, what about when this happens? Because already the people will be looking for loopholes because it's how we are as people. Now, I want you to see that, that it's kind of a God is, is giving us the Ten Commandments are sitting up top, and now he's beginning to explain those Ten Commandments to say this is how you will apply them in all of these different circumstances. And then after giving these commands... God asks his people to participate in a ceremony to seal a covenant with them. It's kind of a marriage, if you will, between God and his people. And so chapter 24 of Exodus tells us that this is what unfolds. Moses came and told the people all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances. So Moses comes and tells the Israelites reminds them of the Ten Commandments, and then tells them all of the additional things that God has told him face-to-face as he represents the people. And then all the people responded with a single voice. And what do they say? We will do everything that the Lord has commanded. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Just to make sure they understood what they were getting into, Moses writes it all down and gives them the opportunity to respond. And they were... We'll do it all. Amen. This is so good. We are all in. Sign us up. And so they go through a ceremony. They they collect animals. They're sacrificed. Some of the blood is saved. And it says he then took the covenant scroll. He read it aloud to the people. He took what he had written down. He read it aloud again. And they responded, we will do and obey all that the Lord has commanded. Moses took the blood, splattered it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. When when an animal was sacrificed and blood was collected and then splattered on those who made a covenant, it was to say, may it happen to us as it has happened to this animal if we break this covenant. We will pay with our life even as the animal has paid with its life to seal this contract. Interesting. Here, the blood of an animal, or animals, lots of animals actually, was used to seal the contract, the covenant. Does that remind you of anything that you're going to see 
on down the line in the Bible. How there's a new covenant, a new contract, and that blood is shed that it might be sealed. And we are splattered with and cleansed by the very blood of the Son of God to seal the contract with us that all those who believe on Him as their Lord and Savior by faith will be saved. And so God's people here, they say, we'll do everything you tell us to. We're going to follow the rules, God. Now remember, we've got these Ten Commandments. Amongst the Ten Commandments, no other gods, no idols, don't misrepresent me, and no adultery. So God and his people, they're sealed in this covenant ceremony. Immediately, Moses goes back up on the mountain. He and Joshua, his assistant, and they spend 40 more days with God getting more details about how God desires to be worshipped. God gives Moses all the plans for what will be called the synagogue, the tent where they will meet God face to face. And so Moses spends 40 days up on the mountain in God's presence. And this whole time, remember, God's presence is lightning and thunder and smoke and earthquakes and fire. And so it's still kind of scary up there. And Moses and Joshua are up there 40 days with God. And down at the base of the mountain, the people of Israel, they're left with Aaron, Moses' older brother, who was trying to keep things under control. And, and they're wondering, what has happened to Moses? Uh, he's been gone a long time now. You know, God told us the rest of the rules in just a couple of hours. Why is it taking so long for Moses to hear from God this time? Now, at the end of those 40 days, when God had finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai. He gave him the two tablets of the testimony, stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. These are the two stone tablets that included the Ten Commandments. But back at the camp, as the people struggle with Moses being gone so long, they struggle with hearing from God. They, they wonder, what's happened? Has, has God abandoned us and taken away our leader? And so they begin to grumble. And so in Exodus chapter 32, we see what is one of the saddest stories in some ways. And yet, it's also a story that seems to be repeated over and over again by God's people. Where they have agreed to obey, they have agreed to follow him. And then all of a sudden, they begin to doubt. And they slip into their old ways. So chapter 32, verses 1 through 6, here's what it says. After, while God was speaking with Moses up on the mountain, back at the camp, when the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us who will go before us, because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So all the, or excuse me, Aaron replied to them, Take off the gold rings that are on your the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, fashioned it with an engraving tool, and made it into an image of a calf. Then, he, then they said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it and made an announcement. There will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Early the next morning they arose, offered burnt offerings, and presented fellowship offerings. They sat down to eat and drink and got up to party, is how my translation puts it. Remember, just a few days before, about a month and a half, what are they saying when God gives them the command, don't make idols, don't worship any other god, watch out who you're intimate with. What, 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 what do they say? Oh yeah, we're all in, God. We're, we'll obey. Forty days passes. Nothing has changed. Every morning, do you know what they have? Manna. Every night, do you know what they have? Quail. They're not thirsty. They're not hungry. They're not naked. They're not homeless. They are fully provided for. But they get uneasy. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe we just didn't understand things right. Let's make our own God. 
And, and the, the Hebrew here is really kind of hard to read. We're, we're not sure if Aaron intended to make a new God or to make a physical representation of the one true God. But either way, it didn't matter. They were already blatantly disobeying the Ten Commandments in building this calf and this altar and having this festival. And so God's plan, uh, he, he gets with Moses and he says to Moses, Hey Moses, you hear that? You hear what's going on? You hear that party? That's your people. Those are the ones you led out of Egypt. I think I'm going to destroy them for being unfaithful. God's ready to just wipe them out. Moses pleads for them. And, and, and Moses says, God, don't do it. Because if you were to wipe them out, you would prove to the Egyptians that, that um, you're, you're not the God that, that you said you were. Because you just brought your people out to die. How about you, you stick with us? How about you, you just be gracious toward us? And God agrees. And then Moses comes down from the mountain and he inflicts punishment on the people. It tells us that Moses, first of all, he dropped the, the first two stone tablets. And so the things that had been written by the very hand of God, he lost them to anger. And then, then he goes down and he, he's freaked out and, and his brother Aaron lies to him. says, well, Moses, you were gone so long, we didn't know what to do, so we just took gold and we threw it in the fire and out popped this calf. Clearly, this is an act of God. Moses is like, nah. Nah, that's baloney. It's not true. And so Moses has the idol ground up, the, the, the dust of it sprinkled over the water. He makes everyone drink of the, the dust of the idol sprinkled into the water. You might go, what? And it's about taking ownership for their sin. It's about them realizing just how foolish it was to worship a God of their own making. Just how ignorant it was. And then all of a sudden he calls up and says, who stands with me? All the Levites, a group, a, a, one of the tribes of Israel, they gather together, they go through the crowd, they kill 3,000 people that day who had worshipped the idol. 3,000 people. And then it says this at the end of Exodus chapter 32, and the Lord inflicted a plague on the people for what they did with the calf Aaron had made. So they got to drink gold dust, 3,000 people were killed, and then the plague came on them from God's hand. Something he had promised not to do if they would be faithful. And yet their faithlessness brought a plague from the hand of God. So what's, what's remarkable about this, this, this little bit that we've looked at, that, that the children of Israel set free from slavery, they've been given freedom, and in that freedom they experience provision and protection and a relationship with the one true God. But they got so hung up in their own desires that they end up in failure. And what do they get in failure? They get a punishment that includes death and a plague for everyone. And, and it's so important for us to understand that once we have been set free, that we can slip back into failure. That once we've been set free from the bondage of sin and we brought into a place of provision and God's grace and His love that sometimes we're just as dumb as the Israelites were and we choose to make our own false gods. We choose to chase after things. We choose to make idols of things that do not deserve our worship. And so as we look at all of this today, I want you to, to really wrap your head around the fact that, that we too, when we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have been set free. And he, he has expectations for us, desires for us to walk in faithfulness. Jesus says this when it comes to the law. Uh, somebody asked him, teacher, which command is the law, in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, some moderns have taken what Jesus says and distorted it and said, so all we have to do is love, and everything else is acceptable as long as it's done in love. Love, 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 lie. Because here's what Jesus meant when he said it. You remember back to the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments, four of them are about our relationship with God. Six of them are about our relationship with others. When Jesus says, 
that the law is summed up in these two phrases, love God and love others, what he is doing is he is summarizing the whole Ten Commandments. And he's saying those two genres of law, when you live them out rightly, you are loving God and loving others. You want to know what that means? Go back to the Ten Commandments. You want to know what the Ten Commandments mean in different aspects of life? Go to the rest of the law. Because it's not, well, what about when it's, it's instead people are trying to use Jesus' words to justify everything? Sometimes we do that ourselves. But what Jesus is telling us actually is the whole law still counts. But from now, it's not obey the law and we'll be in a relationship. It is instead we are in a relationship through what I've done for you on the cross. And I would love for you to walk in obedience to the law. And so we move to a place where instead of obedience in order to keep a relationship, we know our relationship is sure because of what Jesus has done, and now we should long to be obedient. Jesus uh, says, or excuse me, Paul says this about the law. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. Because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. In other words, the first thing the law was meant to do for us is to help us understand we're sinners. And now that we know who we are, and we've trusted Jesus Christ to forgive us of that sin and give us freedom, we come to a place where it has revealed our sinfulness. It points us to our need for Jesus. But it also shows us what we should avoid now that we're free and no longer slaves to sin. We don't want to be like the Israelites and say, oh yeah, I'm going to do what you say, God, and then ignore everything he says. Instead it is, I love you, I'm thankful for the relationship, and now I will do as you ask. So it's important for us to understand, when we read the law, when we read the Ten Commandments, it's useful for us for evangelism and discipleship. It shows us where we've come short, and it shows us how we can be more Christ-like. And so the Old Testament law, it's not just to be cast aside and rejected as, well, that was then, this is now. It applies to our lives today. The second thing to really grab a hold of is to understand the nature of what the Israelites did. Here's what Romans chapter 1, verse 21 tells us about people's knowledge of God. For though they knew God, and last week we learned that everyone knows of God because creation reveals Him. They did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. You see this in action in the, the lives of the Israelites, right? On the top of the mountain... There is thunder and lightning and rumbling and fire and holiness and a booming voice that tells you, if you will just obey, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And what do they choose to worship? A little tiny calf that, 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 that Aaron made. How foolish is that? Yeah, but I can touch the calf. I can see it. I, I know what it is. I can, you know, carry it around and keep it in my pocket. That's the problem. They made for themselves a God that they could understand and control instead of worshiping the one true God who lived on the mountaintop. Paul goes on to say this, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. And the, the, the truth for us today is that all of us still struggle with creating a false view of God. We, we struggle with, with actually representing God as He is. We want God to be soft. We want Him to be controllable. We want Him to be uh, an idol that, that we can come to and get the things that we want when we want them, just like the Israelites that day. They said, God, we're all in as long as we can control you. Sometimes as Christians, we're the same way. God, I'm all in. Save me. Make me yours. But I don't want to follow the rules, and I really want to control you. And I want to make you in my own likeness. I have a little example here. I'm going to show you a picture of Queen Elizabeth. And I want you to tell me if, what you think of this. So this is Queen Elizabeth II, right? 
I mean, it is. I believe this to be Queen Elizabeth II. It's British. It's in the woods. It's, 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 it's Queen Elizabeth II. Would you agree with me? <laughs> yes, thanks. That's my son. Uh, I actually did raise him to be a free thinker, and so I, it's the free thinker in him that's being the smart aleck. So, um, but I tell you this is Queen Elizabeth II, and you go, you say to me, no. Now, how do you know that's not Queen Elizabeth II? Because it doesn't look like her. It doesn't represent her. But, and it doesn't matter how hard I believe this is Queen Elizabeth. This is not Queen Elizabeth, right? How about this? Queen Elizabeth! No, it's Queen Right? But it's not Queen Elizabeth II. I, I, I have taken and I have made an idol out of something else and said it is what it is not. How about this? Queen Elizabeth II. So, is it? Well, it is. But is it really? Because I've, I've made her less than what she is. I have truncated her. I have, have cut off important aspects of her, like her face and her hat. Right? And so, so when I tell you now, this is Queen Elizabeth II, what you, oh yeah, I agree with you. Because this is her revealed. This is her fullness. This is everything we know about her. You have not made her into something she clearly is not. You have not made her into something similar but not the same you have not cut her short and and celebrated only some of her attributes but now when i share this picture you go that's the queen in all of her glory with the hat and the brooch and the smile and you see the picture here i hope you can get it is that sometimes we we, like the Israelites, we struggle with creating a false image of God. And some of us, we have made him into something he completely is not, according to Scripture. And some of us, we, we love certain parts of him, and so we, we cut him off and we truncate him, we make him small, we make him a God of love or a God of, who gives me things. But those are all false gods, and we're no better than the Israelites. Instead, we need a full picture of God, one that reveals him for all that he is. The flame, the thunder, the lightning, the rumbling, the wrath, the justice, the holiness, and the provision, and the love, and the mercy, and the tenderness. A full picture of God. So, mistakes we can make. We make God of Scripture into a God of our own choosing. And we can look around our culture and know that so many people have made God into something else, completely other. He approves of their sinfulness. He, he, he likes their political system more than, than, than someone else's. He, he celebrates their flagrant disregard for his rules. They've made him a God in their, of their own choosing, of their own mind. Or they... They worship him as an incomplete or, or, or mistaken version of himself. And so today, as we wrap up our time together, as we look back at this story of the Israelites who said, God, you're awesome. You've provided for us. You care for us. We worship you. We're going to do everything you say. Oh, but not that. And began to worship another false god and go their own way. The, the, the thing is for us to be reminded we can do some of the same things and our culture certainly does it. And we have got to be careful to understand some things that God's standards continue to speak His heart for us. And He still longs to be in a relationship with us through Christ Jesus, but that doesn't negate His holiness or His desire for us to walk according to His statutes. And the second thing is is it's really important for us to understand God must be worshipped as He is, not as we wish Him to be. The Israelites wanted a God they could control. Yes, we will follow you, but we want to control you, so let's make a calf, and that's you. We made an image. We created a God that we like. And modern Christians can do the same thing, and we are not immune to falling prey to the same issue. Making a God of our own choosing. 
are our own wishing, our own liking. And so how do you know who God is and how to worship him? I have to tell you, the only way to know for sure is to get into his word because this is where he reveals himself completely and how he would like to be worshipped. And how it should look when you are in relationship with him. And so today, we look at the Israelites and we might go, you idiots, you said you'd obey and then you disobeyed just 40 days later. How many of us fall prey to the same issues, the same things? Lord Jesus, you are my king, you are my savior, but I'm going to redefine you to approve of what I like and disapprove of what I dislike, and I'm going to redefine you to be a really small God I can put in my pocket and pull out when I need a parking spot. We don't want to be like the Israelites. We want to worship God in his glory. We want to follow him and be as he would long for us to be, living out his standards. And so this morning, a first thing to always remember is the only way to walk with God in this day and age is not to live the rules, but instead to understand you can't live the rules and you must come to his son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. That's the first step for all of us. But once you've done that, now it's time to start walking with him. As he called you to walk with him in holiness and with him as he really is, not as you want him to be. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you to think about that, to ponder that. If you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you talk to somebody before you leave today? Would you ask, what does it mean to be a Christian? What, what's Michael talking about? Would you talk to someone today, whether it's me or another person here? Everyone here who knows the name of Jesus as their Savior, they should be able to tell you what it means to be saved and how to be saved. If you don't know and somebody asks you, then come to me together and we'll talk through it. But then once you are saved, if you're not living rightly or you're not worshiping Christ as he truly is, I want to encourage you to rethink who you are and how you're living and begin to come to him on his terms and to worship him for who he really is, the king of all, the savior of all who would believe on him and the one who longs for you to be holy even as he's holy. Let's pray together as we close. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the fact that you have revealed yourself so clearly in Scripture that when we want to know what you look like, you tell us what that is. When we want to know who you are and how you behave, you've given us a clear revelation. You've spoken to us. When we need to know the standards by which we must live, you've given them to us clearly. When we need to know what it is to be saved by your Son, Christ, you've spoken it without any hiddenness without any secrets but instead it's out there and in the open that all those who believe on Jesus Christ as Savior will be saved and we are so thankful for how you've spoken to us so clearly and so this morning may we not be like the Israelites hearing your clear words agreeing to do it and then going about our own way but instead may we hear your words May we accept them as our truth and may we walk in them in obedience. Celebrating you for who you really are, the King of all creation, the Lord of every circumstance, Yahweh, the one true God, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the Spirit that is holy within us, three in one. May we know you for who you genuinely are and listen to the words you have to speak. Thank you for this time. And as we close in our song, may you be glorified and may our hearts be turned to you in obedience and genuine worship. In your name we pray, Jesus. Stand and sing that last song together. Jesus.
with open arms and love and says everyone who would come and follow after me I'll take your burden and give you my yoke my way of living and it'll be light and it'll be easy in comparison this God does not 
condemn us. He does not hate us. But he does have standards and a desire for us to walk with him in holiness. So as you come to Christ, the exalted Savior, this week, would you respond in faith? Would you cast aside the false gods and instead listen to his voice and obey him? Have an amazing week as you follow after Jesus. You follow after Jesus in submission and obedience. And I encourage you to join uh, some of the Bible studies throughout the week, the opportunities at Sunday Bible School next Sunday morning at 937. And of course, we'll be here again at 1045 next week to continue our journey through the Old Testament to see God's glory and plan for the future. God bless you guys.